Welcome to the Powerhouse Youth Podcast. We're glad that you're joining us today, and we hope that this builds you up and helps you live out your faith. Enjoy the message. All right. Boo you. Boo you. Hey, is everybody doing good tonight? Crickets? Y'all, you would think after like three months of quarantine, y'all would be like just itching to do anything. Has anybody gone like crazy during quarantine? Like mentally insane? Who was already there before quarantine? A few. Okay, okay. Yeah. Hey, uh, I would like to point this out. I really enjoyed the little video that everybody made that Jack and Lane and all them made for us tonight. But one of the clips where it zoomed in on Jack's face, I'm pretty sure he had a booger in his nose. And uh, (laughs) I think that made me laugh harder than anything. I didn't see it the other day when I watched the video on my phone, but when it was on that big screen, that was a pretty big booger, bro. I'm just saying. (laughs) It's okay. It happens to us all. I'm sure Jack's face is red. It's all right. Well, hey, uh, we are glad that you're here tonight, man. I'm excited to finally be back, and uh, I know uh, we're a little lower than normal. Uh, Some people aren't quite ready to, I guess, risk their lives in the midst of the corona crisis, if uh, we're still calling it that. Um, but uh, I'm glad that y'all are here, and uh, you know, uh, we talked about it in the announcement video, I think Anthony and Luke mentioned it as well, but we have uh, our beach trip that's coming up uh, super, super fast in July, it's July 10th through the 14th, it costs $225, man, we're going to have a blast, we're going to Panama City, Florida, uh, where we go, uh, we've gone for several, several years going to Surfside Retreat, and so if you want to go, come and talk to me after service, I want to get you registered and all that online, you can find the registration link in our Instagram, on the, in our bio, on our Facebook page, or if you don't have either of those, we can, uh, we can text it to you, so you can do it all on your phone like that, but it's going to be a ton of fun, uh, if your parents are concerned about any of that, uh, come and get my number and they can call me and we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit as well. But um, I have a couple of little funny things I want to show you before we jump in tonight, okay? So one, we had an interesting visit the other night at the Yeldale residence. Um, was it Monday night? Is that right? A couple days ago. So it really wasn't even late. It was what was weird. It was like 845 And we had some delinquents outside our home that decided to vandalize our property. And so uh, we, and actually, I have cameras around my house, and uh, I get an update on my phone that someone's outside, so I click it, and it shows all these girls over on our garage putting all these sticky notes on. There's a camera, like, right here. They didn't even see it. So they're all giggling and stuff, and I'm just, like, watching them on my phone inside, like, are you kidding me? And so we uh, scramble around, we run outside with uh, water guns and water balloons and just start beaming people, okay? It was kind of fun, I'm not going to lie. And it was also amusing because the girls ran to the corner of my house and the fence, so they couldn't run anywhere. So we just got to sit there and keep pegging them with water balloons. I was like, everybody knows you run to the street, like you, you run away It was the opposite, but uh, anyway, it was pretty amusing. We did invite them in for cookies afterwards to make up for pegging them with water balloons. They also helped clean up before they left, so we appreciate that part for sure. Do what? 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Thanks so much. Uh, so anyways, if any of you are thinking about vandalizing our house, you will get pegged with water balloons and stuff, and you will not get cookies this time, because we're not going to be that nice. And probably because we ate all of them, so... <laughs> that's also a problem. <laughs> uh, but uh, hey, I also have a funny meme that I saw the other day. Uh, you can put this up. I don't know about you, but I've just been like tired of talking about Corona. It's been Corona this, Corona that. I saw this. Uh, I'm kind of against wearing the face mask a little bit too. But uh, when you're tired about hearing about Corona, they have the little face mask for your ears. It just filters out Corona talk. So uh, I thought that was pretty amusing. We could all use those uh, right about now. But uh, anyway, man, we're going to get ready to, to kind of jump in. And I'm glad, um, man, we're all meeting back together in person finally. It was good to worship. Um, it's been a long time since we have been able to do that. Um, and so anyway, it's good to see you. Who thinks this year has like gone by in a blur? Like it might just be because we just lost three months or something, but it's already June. I literally, I was typing the date on my sermon this, uh, this morning when I was getting ready and I went, oh my gosh, it is June already. I feel like we just started the year. It's just like blown by. Uh, but 2020 seems like it has just been ultimate chaos. Would you agree with that? It's, uh, I saw another meme the other day that said uh, we needed to uh, uninstall 2020 and reinstall it and see if it fixed any of the bugs that we're having. Uh, it was kind of amusing. Um, but, you know, for most of us, you're probably not that upset about the, the quarantine. A lot of you were probably excited about getting out of school just a little bit. Anybody? It, you were like probably, once it went so far, you're like, I'm ready to go back to school. But at first, you were a little excited, I would guess. Uh, but you know, for, for a lot of us, I know for our seniors, it's a sad face. I saw Cassandra making a crying face over here. You miss out on graduation and all kinds of stuff. Um, but you know, uh, for a lot of us, that hasn't been that big of a deal. But for some people in our culture, especially in our church, it's been a little more difficult. You know, we've had uh, a number of people uh, that have lost their jobs or they've been laid off and, and finances and things are getting tied. I know businesses are shutting down all across our nation. Uh, and, and it's really kind of sad to see. And so I know uh, for a lot of us, especially being young, you're probably not aware, you know, of a lot of the financial stress and things that can come. Uh, even if your parents were a little bit stressed out, you might would be oblivious to that fact, like you're just watching Netflix and playing on TikTok or whatever. But uh, I, I do think it's important uh, to stop, and, and we're not going to pray right now for this, but uh, in, in your own life, be praying for those people who've been impacted by this, that uh, have been impacted, that have lost their jobs. Pray that God would restore and bless uh, those people. And uh, I know the last few months it's been chaos, but especially uh, the last few weeks, has been chaos, okay? And so we've seen uh, the racial tension in America rise, right? As uh, the police officer in Minneapolis unjustly took the life of uh, George Floyd. I know uh, you've seen this all over every platform right now. I mean, Instagram, social medias, news channels, uh, everywhere I look, this is, uh, this is what is kind of being uh, uh, put on here. And, you know, these men, uh, the officer that uh, had his knee on George Floyd's neck and also the three officers that stood idly by, they were clearly in the wrong, right? I think we would all agree with that. These men should be and are, be, uh, are being prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. 
Uh, and so I want to kind of take just a minute to talk about this before we jump into kind of the, uh, the, the main point of tonight's mes- message and all of that. But uh, I believe that all of us in this room, we should be able to agree with the statement that black lives matter. Okay? I figured German was going to amen me there. <laughs> but, uh, but black lives do matter. And uh, we as believers, we stand uh, for the value of life. We value all life uh, from the moment of conception uh, in a mother's womb to the last breath of the elderly. Uh, That value is applied across the board no matter the color of the skin, right? And, uh, you know, uh, we believe Genesis 127 that all men were created in the image of God. And, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm really grateful to serve on, uh, on a church uh, staff at Church on the Rock that celebrates its diversity. Uh, and, and so, um, you know, this place, our church powerhouse, it's a place where all people are welcome. Uh, and that's one of my favorite things about our youth group here, actually. And I get asked about that all the time from other youth pastors is how uh, do we have such a diverse youth group and, and students that come to, to hang out here. And it's something that, uh, that we celebrate. Uh, you know, we have students from all over the city city, from all schools, from all uh, socioeconomic statuses, of all skin colors, and uh, we come together in unity to worship the God of the Bible. Amen? Amen. And, uh, and so I, I just want to say this. I, I really hope that Powerhouse uh, has been and will continue to be a, a safe place for all people to come together and to worship. And I hope that no one here has ever felt uh, discriminated against. And uh, if you have, I just want to pause and just ask for your forgiveness. Okay, Uh, and so I don't believe that new legislation or reparations are the answer uh, to uh, solve the racial issues in America. But I believe that we have to allow God to come and change the heart of men. Amen. And so, uh, you know, even throughout Scripture, I was I was really kind of thinking about this to kind of end this little section here. We see racial tensions all throughout the Bible, um, especially even in the time of Christ. And you see uh, Christ and his followers break through uh, these these barriers to minister and care for all people, okay? And so you see this when uh, Christ ministered to the Samaritan woman at the well. Uh, We see this on multiple occasions as Christ chooses to minister to Gentiles. You see it uh, in Acts chapter 8 when Philip ministers to the Ethiopian eunuch, Uh, and this uh, can be seen throughout the missionary journeys of the apostles, and especially of Paul, that he purposefully went to minister uh, to the Gentiles. But the greatest example of breaking through this sort of racial barrier uh, is the example that when Christ died on the cross, he died for the sins of the world, not one race or one nationality. You know, I wanted to share this quote in the words of Martin Luther King Jr. He says, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. And, uh, and I just want to stop um, and and us to, to kind of come together in agreement tonight, that we would make Powerhouse a safe place where we choose to extend the love of Christ to all people. Because his love is perfect, his love is, is unending, and, and the answer that the world is searching for is the love of Christ. And so uh, I, I want us to, to make sure this is a safe place where we treat everyone equally, where we love everyone equally, but also when we go outside of these doors, we're extending that love as well. Amen? You know, uh, the word says that uh, followers of Christ, that Christians would be known for how they love one another. 
that should be what separates us and the people of the culture. How, how do we love people? How do we treat people? How do we care for people? They should be able to recognize that we are followers of Christ by how we love the people around us. Not make fun of them, not criticize them, not hate on them, right? I know those things are popular to do, but how do we love people? And so I want to stop and just say a prayer over this right now, and uh, we're going to jump in to our message tonight. And so, Lord, I do come to you right now in Jesus' name. God, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for every student, every leader that's here. And, and Lord, right now, we just even pray if there's any wrongdoing or anything in, in our personal lives, in our heart, God, would you reveal that to us right now? Would you help to remove that? Lord, would you bring us all together in unity? Lord, we pray for your peace across our nation, Lord, that, that, that violence and, and all these issues, Lord, it would cease. God, that your peace, your love would reign supreme, and, and Lord, we just ask that you would have your way in us tonight. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen, amen. Okay, well, tonight, uh, we're actually going to talk about something a little bit different. It's something that I've been wrestling with, actually, uh, for several months, uh, and I hope this is something that you've never really heard before. It'll be a little bit different, maybe make you uh, think uh, just a little bit. But if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. Everybody say Exodus. Y'all are acting like y'all are sleepy, but I know all y'all got up at lunchtime today. So, like, you have no excuse. <laughs> You're like, yes, yes. Do what? <laughs> Okay, uh, so if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to, to Exodus 3. We will have our, our main scriptures on uh, the Sky Bible tonight. Uh, but if you're kind of unfamiliar with this, uh, Exodus is the second book of the Bible. Uh, it's in the Old Testament. Uh, the majority of scholars believe that Moses wrote the book himself, which is pretty interesting. Uh, and the purpose of the book of Exodus is to recount the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. Okay, and so this purpose this kind of undergirding purpose for the book of, of Exodus, it really kind of uh, highlights the, the faithfulness of God to fulfill his promises, right? He made this promise to Abraham that he was going to bring his descendants into the promised land. Uh, I mean, nearly 400-something years later, God is pulling the Israelites out of Egypt to be faithful and fulfill the promise he made to Abraham, right? To bring them, to start the journey, bringing them into the promised land. And, uh, and so this is another reason, if you were here on Sunday night, um, we, we kind of talked a little bit about studying the Bible, some reasons, uh, some, some good habits and things to have, the reasons it's good to look into the context of what's going on behind the scenes, because uh, just us knowing some of these few little facts here at the beginning of the book shows us, it encourages us to trust that God will fulfill his promises to us, right? Before you even open the book of Exodus, you already know, like you're already presented uh, with a spiritual truth here. And so uh, it's important to, to study God's word, not just to read it and to understand some of the background of what's uh, going on, okay? And, uh, and so uh, I, I want you to kind of hold on to this, but the things that God has spoken to you the things that are outlined in, in his word, the promises that he's extended to us, he will be faithful to bring them to completion, okay? And so uh, Abraham trusted God to fulfill his uh, promise, and we can trust that he'll do the same for us. Okay, and so I want to jump in here in Exodus chapter 3, verses uh, 1 through 6. We're just going to read this chunk for a second, and we're going to talk about it. Okay, and so it says, we're, we're talking about a, a man named Moses. Y'all know Moses? Okay, making sure. 
a couple of y'all know Moses. He cool. He says, uh, now Moses was keeping the flock of his father in, father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight while the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. Last verse, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Okay, this is uh, actually a, a step before, a chapter before kind of our primary topic uh, for the night, but I think it's important to, to look at this for a second, okay? Uh, we've probably all heard about the, uh, the story of the burning bush. I think it'd be pretty cool to see this in person. Uh, Moses is obviously pretty curious about it, but this is really one of uh, Moses' first encounters with God as God is calling him to go back to Egypt uh, to free the Israelites, Okay? And so uh, Moses, he's keeping his flock. He's a shepherd. It seems like everyone in the Bible at some point or another was a shepherd. I don't know why. Uh, it's just normal. Uh, but it, and, and so uh, he's a shepherd. He's keeping his flock, and God begins to call him out of a burning bush. Y'all, this would be pretty cool if God started speaking to you like this audibly. And so when Moses comes over to the bush, what does God tell him to do? That's a good chance. <laughs> God tells him to take the sandals off his feet, but why does he tell him to take the sandals off his feet? He says it's holy ground. And so, uh, and then the scripture, the last verse we read, verse six, he says, and then Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Okay, think about this for a second. The ground was holy, not because of the location, but because the presence of God was there. Okay, and so Moses reacted out of respect and reverence for God in this moment. And so he came before God in humility. He, he kind of approached God with this mentality that he wasn't even worthy enough to look at him, right? He, he hid his face. He was afraid to look at God. One, I think that speaks to the glory of God and his appearance, but also the humility of heart of Moses, Okay, and so uh, this sort of reverence and respect or the fear of the Lord, uh, I believe is something that has been lost within our modern culture. Okay, and so uh, I believe it's something that we all need to try to find again. Okay, because uh, we often come before God honestly in more of a, a nonchalant manner. We approach him as we would approach anyone else. When you think about the way we come into church services or we hang out or, or maybe even the way that you pray, a lot of times it's, it's really nonchalant. We don't really uh, reflect. We don't really have this same sort of heart that Moses has here, this reverence and this respect. And, and if you think about it, if anyone is deserving respect and honor, it's him who created and shaped and molded us, right? If anyone deserves our respect, it's God. He's deserving of more respect than you would give any other person on the earth. If we saw the, the president or you saw your favorite uh, 
actor or or I don't even know, musician or whoever your kind of like little idol is that you look up to, man, you would you'd be so excited. Some of the girls would squeal and all kinds of stuff. The guys would try to act chill, but like really deep down be squealing. And, and you know, I feel like a lot of times we give respect and honor to people on, on earth, but we approach God, the one who is due all respect and honor in a nonchalant manner. And I believe we kind of need to, to think about this for, for just a second. I want us to be conscious, you know, when we, uh, when we come together and it's time to meet with God, that we come before him with this same sort of uh, respect and reverence that Moses had here in this text. That we desire to meet with him. Moses was curious of the bush. He heard the voice. He came over and approached. He desired to have this encounter with, with, with God, but he also understood that his sin and iniquity, because of those things, he didn't deserve to be in God's presence. Why would he be afraid to look at him? Why would he feel unworthy to be before God? Because he realized his, his fallen state. And, and oftentimes, I feel like we need to be reminded that when we come before God, you know, we're in a new covenant and with grace and mercy and all of these things because Christ's blood has covered our sin. But a lot of times we get so used to that, we come before God like it's not a big deal, and it should be where we come before God and realize, because of my sin, because of my problem, because of my issues, my iniquity, God, I shouldn't even be able to come before you. But you're gracious enough. You want to, to meet with me enough that you allow me to come into your presence. When you come before God with this sort of reverence and respect, I, I'm telling you, I believe it deepens your intimacy with God, I believe it, it deepens your appreciation for what Christ has done, and I also believe that it helps kind of magnify, produce in you this sort of heart of worship. And so I want to, to kind of encourage us before we even move on to my main kind of crux of the message tonight that we should all come before God with, with a sort of reverence and respect that it should be greater than anyone else that we come before, anyone else that you could imagine meeting or, or, or hanging out with, he deserves more. He deserves it more. And I want to remind you not just to come before God in service with a greater reverence and respect, but also when you're home alone, when you just want to meet with God for a few moments, when you come to him in prayer, when you come to him and, and open his word, we should have that sort of reverence as well. Because remember in the story, it wasn't the location that made the ground holy. It was the presence of God. And when we begin to invite God here and his presence comes, this, this ground becomes holy. This is a, a holy moment with, with me and with God. This is, this is something that should not be taken lightly. And so, you know, I feel like a lot of times in the church we can come in and it's just a time of worship, of music really, rather than of this reverent moment with God. Does this make sense? And so when you come before God, you, your heart should change. There should be a greater level of, of appreciation. And so whether you're meeting in the church building, whether you're meeting outside and at home or you're at school or wherever you are, there, there should be this sort of respect as well. Because we know we don't deserve to be before God. But because of the grace of Christ, we can come boldly to the throne of grace. Amen. And so I want you, actually, we're going to skip down here to chapter four. We're going to look at the first two verses here. 
And so uh, that was really kind of the first encounter with uh, Moses uh, having with God when God is kind of urging him to go back to, uh, to Egypt to free the Israelites. And so we're going to look here. Uh, Moses is kind of making some excuses in chapter 4, uh, but I want to read a couple of verses because there's one verse, verse 2, is important, and I think it's significant, maybe something you've never thought about before. It says this, uh, Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. Okay, I think this is kind of funny because I've read this so many times. I haven't thought anything about it. Uh, but I, I love verse 2. God asked Moses, what's that in your hand? Do you think God knows what a staff is? Yeah, probably not. He's probably never seen one before. He's like, man, what is that? Okay, no, he knows what it is, right? And so he already knows. He's asking this question to draw Moses's attention to it. Okay, and so uh, this this staff before this moment, it really kind of represents Moses's vocation. What did what did he do? He was a shepherd, right? He had a staff. He had a shepherd's crook. Uh, this, is, uh, this is what he did. Uh, he watched his flocks. And so the staff really represents him relying on his own might and his own ability. And so all of us that are familiar with the story of Moses and, and the Exodus and all of these things, we know that something changes here in verse 2 and things start getting a little more interesting. I want you to look at, me, uh, look at verses 3 through 5. And uh, he said... This is God speaking, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses ran from it. Who would be running if it changed into a snake before you? We got any folks that are scared of snakes? I am. I would be running for sure. (laughs) Okay, so Moses ran from it. I'm with you, Moses. Okay, verse four. It says, but the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. Okay, if you weren't running before, who's running now? He wants you to grab the snake. Nah, God, I'm, I mean, I trust you, but I don't know. And it says, so he put out his hand. Moses is crazy. So he put out his hand, he caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. And it says that they may believe that the God, uh, that the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Okay, this, it starts getting a little interesting after verse 2, right? This staff uh, finds a new ability to uh, produce the miraculous, to change into uh, a serpent, okay? And so uh, I believe that it begins in verse 2 because I would hate to be out watching sheep if your Moses and your staff keeps changing into a serpent. That would be pretty bad. But I I want you to think about this for a second. Those of us that are familiar with the story of the Exodus, we know that all the big moments of the Exodus, uh, they were produced by the staff an inanimate object, okay? And so I know God is behind the staff, but I want you to follow me uh, for a few minutes, okay? So if you go back and you read through uh, the 10 plagues, can anybody name the 10 plagues? (laughs) Can anybody spell the word plague? (laughs) It's kind of (laughs) confusing. Anybody want to take a go? Okay, yeah, you got that U in there, okay. Yeah, I kept like typing like plague, with an E in my computer earlier, and it was autocorrect. I was like, yeah, you're right, okay. So 
So when you start looking at, at the Exodus and the rest of this story, if you haven't read it in a long time, I encourage you, go revisit it. It's an awesome story. Uh, but if you go back and you read through the ten plagues, Aaron uh, would stretch his hand with the staff over the water or the dust or over the city or whatever God told him to do. Uh, when you read through each plague, it always emphasized, take the staff and do so-and-so. Okay, and so uh, it would say, uh, take the, the staff, and, and it would turn the river into blood. Uh, you, you remember the, the plague, the uh, second plague of frogs, it was gnats, it was the flies, uh, the death of the livestock, then everyone got boils, that sounds disgusting. Uh, then there was a lot of hail that came, then locusts, then darkness, and then the last plague was the death of the firstborn, right, which produced Passover, Okay, and so all of these plagues, all of these accounts, what was there? What, what did Aaron use to hold up to, to demand these things to come to be? It was the staff, okay? Are y'all with me? The staff is important here. Okay, and so when you really begin to dive in and, and study the significance of the staff, we see uh, that what once represented Moses striving to work and accomplish things on his own now is a representation of Christ, and so maybe you've never really understood this or seen this before, but the staff that they're carrying around constantly throughout the Exodus story and even multiple other stories throughout Scripture is a representation of Christ. And so everywhere Moses went after Exodus 4-2, he was carrying and leaning on Christ. Is that pretty neat? So he's carrying and leaning on Christ, and actually it was really called uh, the rod of Aaron. Aaron uh, used the rod more often than uh, Moses did, but this is a, a kind of a representation, uh, uh, an example, if you will, that he was no longer trusting in his own ability, but he was relying on God to give him the strength to accomplish what he had, uh, what he had been called to do and to produce the things that he himself could not produce. And so in verse 2, the big shift here was that he was no longer relying on himself, but he had begun to rely on God. And so everywhere he went, everywhere he walked, every encounter with Pharaoh, every miracle, he was leaning on Christ and the staff, this inanimate object, Jesus produced the miraculous in his life. Okay, I think that is so powerful. But think about it for just a second. We'll go down and think of a couple other examples. Later on, after the plagues, when the Israelites are released from Egypt, they come to the Red Sea. And before the Red Sea parts, what do they lift up over the sea? The staff, right? And so the staff, Christ, parts the sea. Christ makes a way where there was no way. Christ opens it up. Christ does it. He makes the way. I think it's so cool. When you look in Exodus 17, the Israelites are fighting a people called the Amalekites. Uh, Moses goes up to the mount, and remember the story, he has to hold up his arms, and while he's holding up his arms, they're winning in victory. When his shoulders get tired and he drops them, what happens? They begin to lose, but what is he holding in his hand? He's holding the staff in his hand. And so while they're holding the staff, while he's exalting Christ above everything else in his life, he's walking in victory. But as soon as he begins to drop that in his life and look to something else, what happens? He begins to lose. Are you with me? 
They're carrying around Christ. Christ is making the way. Christ is producing the miraculous. I think it's, it's so powerful. And in that story in Exodus 17, you know, Aaron and her, they come and support Moses' arms and just hold them up. Like, I would probably get pretty tired just like holding this guy's arm up the whole time, right, during this fight. But while they were exalting this staff, while they were exalting Christ above everything else, they were walking in victory. You know, I think it's so cool. You can, you can try to, to uh, make it on your own. Most people do, at least for a portion of their life. Um, and a lot of us, you know, we've kind of yet to understand that we can't make it on our own. Um, there are things in your life that you will never learn, but accept by going through fire or a trial or hardship, something that makes you come to the end of yourself. Okay, and so um, I kind of believe uh, when I was just thinking about this, this season that we've been kind of going through, everything has been so chaotic. When you look about, uh, look at Corona, you look at the racial tensions, all kinds of things that are developed over the last few months. What has kind of begun to, to unfold, I believe, uh, has really brought a lot of people to the realization that they can't make it on their own and they have to look to something else, Right. And so a lot of people, I believe, all over the nation, even all over the world, they've had to, had to come to God in humility, admitting that they need to rely on him. It's almost like Moses in Exodus 4, he came before God, he's making excuses, they won't trust me, I, I can't speak, I can't do all of these things that you're asking of me. And God says, well, why don't you just lean on me, why don't you just rely on me instead? And so I believe that in these seasons that are hard, these trials that come against us, these are the seasons that teach you to truly rely and trust on God. And yet the thing that I feel like God kind of placed in my heart is that a lot of our young, uh, young people, our students, we, we probably haven't been taught a whole lot from these situations uh, that are going on right now because we're kind of sheltered from those things. A lot of the adults around us, a lot of uh, our parents, our authority figures, a lot of them take the brunt of, of the force, a lot of the weight or the stress that comes along on these things. And I felt impressed to tell you tonight we need to go ahead and learn the easy way that we can't make it on our own and that we have to begin to rely on Christ, to lean on him everywhere that we go. Are you with me tonight? You can't make it on your own. You're not smart enough. You might be smart, but you're not smart enough. <laughs> Summer goes, I know I'm not. <laughs> it's okay. You got Jesus to lean on, and it's hot in here. We need to lean on uh, Jesus for that air conditioning to come on. Dang. Jesus fix it. Okay. But I want to encourage you. Man, I, I really do feel like a lot of us, we've kind of been sheltered for some, uh, through uh, some of these, these circumstances and things, and I, I want you to kind of realize tonight that you can't make it on your own, and even in the same way that Moses was called to help deliver the Israelites from the hands of the Egyptians, he understood that he couldn't do it on his own. He understood that, that he couldn't do it according to his own ability. And, and I want to tell you tonight that if you desire to walk in the full purpose and the calling of God, that you will not be able to do that on your own. You won't be able to do that according to your own ability, but you must learn to rely on him. 
to carry Christ with you everywhere that you go, every step of every day, every situation that I walk into, I'm not going into by myself, but I'm going to go with Christ and allow him to produce in me the things that I am not able to produce, to do the things that I'm not able to do. Because Christ, the staff, was what produced the miraculous. And so a lot of us, we haven't really learned this, this lesson that we can't make it on our own, but I think tonight it, it's a time for a lot of us to, to learn this, to admit this, to, uh, to be humble before you are humbled eventually in a hard situation. And it's, it's really a, an encouraging thing as well because, you know, in, in every hardship and every trial and every circumstance, when things get really tough, uh, when you go through life, I'll, I'll just tell you, at some point, you know, even if your life is, is just great, at some point, there are going to be some tough times. There are going to be some times that you feel like giving up or quitting or throwing in the towel, but it's comforting because you know that if you're trusting in Christ, you have someone to lean on. You have something to support you. You have something that will give you strength. And I'm going to tell you, if you're not leaning on him and you're not trusting on him, when that time comes, you will crumble to your knees. Christ is the only firm foundation. He is the one that, the only one that can bear that sort of weight. We have to rely on him. We have to learn to rely on him every day. And as you go back to school, as you go to work, as you're hanging out with your friends, I'm going to carry Christ with me, and he's going to enable me to, to say no to temptation, to say no to sin, to, to have the boldness to witness and share his gospel. I'm, I'm going to carry Christ with me, and he will empower me in that moment. You know, I thought this was probably uh, the, the coolest thing, and I'm going to get ready to close uh, if the worship team will come up. But when you look, uh, if, if you're taking notes or anything, or if you want to reference this later, it's in Exodus chapter 7. Uh, we're probably all familiar with this story, but uh, Moses and Aaron, it's the first time they go before Pharaoh, okay? And he's, he's uh, announcing to the Pharaoh, let my people go, and all of these things, kind of making uh, their demands here. And so what happens, what do they do once again to display the glory of God? What do they do? Anybody know? I'm going to awkwardly look around until somebody says something. <laughs> what? Yeah, so they cast their staff down, right? Yeah, and so that's exactly right. And so uh, what, what happens here, they come before Pharaoh and all these things, and so to, to display the glory of God, they cast the staff down, the staff turns into a serpent, okay? Verse 12 in Exodus 7 actually says uh, that Moses and Aaron's serpent swallowed up the other serpent. So this is pretty hardcore. Okay, and so think about this for just a second. Uh, a snake or a serpent often in Scripture represents evil. It represents Satan. It represents sin. Uh, and so Moses and Aaron's staff, which represents Christ, turns into a serpent. And so think about this, Christ on the cross became sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay, and so the staff became a serpent and swallowed other serpents. And so Christ, 
Are you following me? Are you still, okay, some of y'all are looking around. Christ became sin, and by becoming sin, defeated sin and Satan. Okay, this is obviously a, a depiction of Christ that they're carrying around. The staff represents Christ. This is a picture of salvation through Christ and the cross. And we all must learn to lean on Christ and what he's done for us on the cross in order to inherit salvation. And I know a lot of us in here, we've made the decision to follow Christ. We've made the decision to to begin to serve him and to seek after him. But some of us, you still might be somebody who's trying to make it on, on your own. Maybe you've been trying to tough it out. Maybe you've been trying to go your own way. And I just want to tell you that you have to learn to lean on him. You have to lean on him for forgiveness. You have to lean on him for grace. You have to lean on him for mercy. You know, uh, I was thinking earlier as well, you know, even on the topic of salvation, I feel like in the church world, we often downplay the uh, the state of man. We we almost say, you know, these, these kind of phrases we say, like we've fallen short, and, and it kind of paints this picture. It gives you this connotation that that we've we've just missed the mark. Like, oh, we're we're just a little bad, right? And so we just can't like get there, but Jesus is there to bridge this little gap. And and actually, scripture says the opposite. He says that we're all wicked, that that no one is righteous, that all of us have fallen short, that that we have evil desires in our heart, that and the reality is the gap between us and righteousness, the standard that God demands is a gaping hole that Christ alone could come to fill. And so I want to tell you tonight, and you're probably aware, you have desires and things in your heart that should not be there. You have things in your life that are probably wicked. We all do. We have all fallen short. We all struggle with these sins, but Christ is the only one that can bridge the gap. Christ is the only one we can lean on And if you don't choose to lean on him with your life and trust him and follow him every day, one day when we come before God, we're going to receive judgment for all of our wickedness. But if we learn to lean on him now, if we learn to trust in him now, if we learn to give him our life now and to pursue him on that day, we have Christ to give us strength. We have Christ to support us. And I want to encourage you tonight, no matter where you are, if you're doing good with God or if you're far away or, or if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior at all, all of us in this room, we need to learn to rely on Him in a greater way. We need to learn to lean on Him in a greater way, that I'm going to carry Him everywhere that I go. I'm even reminded right now at the edge of the promised land before uh, the Israelites were going to cross over the river Jordan, I believe, to go into the promised land. God was uh, upset with them because of their sin. And he said, okay, go ahead and go. Go ahead and go to the promised land, but I'm not going with you. And they said, Lord, if you don't go, I don't wanna go. If you're not going, God, I'm gonna stay right here And we need to have this sort of desire that we want God to be with us every moment of every day, everywhere that we go, everything that we do, we desire God to come with us. And if God doesn't go, we don't go. 
If God doesn't come with us, then we're not going to go. I would rather have you, God, than the promised land. I would rather have you, God, than the promise, than something good in my life that I hope that you can produce. And tonight, I want to pray over us, but we all need to learn to lean on him.